This is the Jail Ministry Podcast. The J-A-I-L, or Jesus Acts and Inmates Lives Ministry, is Christ-centered and provides programs focused on the prevention and intervention for the incarcerated. Jail Ministry also provides support to offenders, criminal justice professionals, victims, and their families. Thank you for your continued financial assistance. For more information, visit jailmen.org. Now, here's today's lesson. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to Jail Bible Study 2022. Amazing how 2021 just flew by, and we're into 2022. And today we're going to go over probably one of my favorite stories of Jesus in the Bible. And the message today is Jesus Seeks and Saves the Lost. Now let's kind of backtrack a few weeks and let you know where we're headed, where we've been. So we get kind of a progression. We make kind of, we're trying to make sense out of the Bible. We, we kind of established four basic themes that are in the Bible. However, there are many more themes and messages. But we looked at the first being creation. So we spent a couple, three weeks in creation, how God created this world perfect. Perfect in his eyes. He gave Adam and Eve everything they needed to have a perfect, blessed life on earth. And as you remember, Adam and Eve, they fell. Remember? They fell in the garden. They disobeyed. They sought their will first. They put themselves first. And it was their pride and their wanting to be their own gods that really doomed them. So with that first sin, we all say, how could such a sin be so serious? Well, God is perfect. Okay, the only analogy I can maybe make, I don't know if I've shared this with you before, but it's like taking a perfectly clear mountain pitcher of water, which you come, take, comes from the mountain stream. A gallon of water just so tastes so good, it's so cold. But if you add one drop of imperfection, one drop of cyanide in that gallon of water, it's poisonous. It could kill a whole city of 100,000 people. So God is perfect. And when Adam and Eve sinned against God, there was an eternal brokenness. And we talked about this before, but we talked about the three basic temptations are the pride, pride of the eyes, or lust of the eyes, the lust of our flesh, fleshy desires, and the pride of life. So they fell, and, they, and all three of those temptations happened and occurred in the garden with the temptation by Satan. So we talked about how they encountered God in the, in the garden and how God showed them a way out. So we talked about creation. Once they had sinned, God had covered their sins with some garments to cover them. And then we talked about how in this creation, we talked about the fall. And the fall was the fall in the garden. The fall was that sin. And we talked about the repercussions and we talked about the, what happened, the ramifications of that sin. And it was so sad to see that Cain murdered his son Abel, which were the first two sons of uh, Adam and Eve, and what ultimately left to complete rebellion, where God had to finish and take care of business, so to speak. And he chose, he chose Noah, he chose Noah's wife, and their three sons and spouses to be on the ark. And as he sent the flood, they were saved by going into the ark by faith they built the ark, went into the ark, and they were saved. 
So we talked creation, we talked the fall of man, the judgment, the flood. And we also talked about the, the Tower of Babel. The Tower of Babel is where man tried to make, once again, by his pride, he tried to make his own creation, tried to put himself above God, and he tried to use his knowledge and his trust in himself, complete example of, of pride run, run amok. And with that, God dispersed all of the people. And those people at the time were probably near where current Israel, Iraq, Iran is, but he scattered the people. So for another 2,000 years, the people of the earth are going to be wandering about. They're going to be trying to make up their own rules. And ultimately, there is absolutely no salvation but through God. And so we see in the Bible, we see many of the heroes of the Bible, it will say they walked with God or they had faith in God or that God chose them. So we know that God did choose some of his people. But ultimately, everything in the first um, three books, first books of the Bible would point to Jesus Christ. And we know a couple verses uh, to look at is the first one, Isaiah 9-2, the people have seen a great light. They've seen a wonderful counselor, mighty Savior. So that occurred 790 years before Christ. So all of these prophets are going to point the way to the Savior, Jesus Christ, who came, remember creation, the fall of man, and then the rescue and redemption of Jesus Christ. So all of these verses are going to, the verses I give you, will point to the Savior. And how could that be? It's kind of like, kind of like when I'm asking something, they tell me some, someone tells me a story that I'm not really sure about. I don't know if it's true or not. So I always, I usually ask for another one or two witnesses or another one or two suggestions or people who could tell me if that's true. So in the Bible, we have over 25, 35 examples of where prophets look to the Savior. We have Micah 5, 2. He shall shepherd his flock, and the Savior shall come from Bethlehem. Wow. He shall shepherd his flock, and the Savior shall come from Bethlehem. So that's pretty obvious right there. And that's written about uh, 590 years before Jesus, too. So all of these prophets, it's, it's amazing how they were recorded and documented. And then five to 700 years later, they came true. Another one that's incredible is Psalm 22, written by David. Now, this is also an amazing prophet because David is about 16 generations before Jesus. How could that be? Well, Jesus is part God, part man. He came as a man to suffer through our temptations and to suffer and to stand before us with our sins and also to be tempted in ways that man is tempted also, but he never sinned. He's a perfect, perfect man, yet also son of God. So that's one of the mysteries that we see in the Bible, one of many mysteries, but we always, how could he be part man, part God? But he is in the line of David because if we follow the very detailed genealogy, now genealogy is a record of all of the descendants of the families. And so at that time, and this Bible is just not pieced together 100, 200 years ago, it's been put together for 6,000 years. And when it's written down, we say, how can that be? Well, these people were very intelligent, and they had scribes. They had people that recorded 
in the temple. All of the different children, the, the sons and daughters of each family clan. And so these were all documented on a giant, giant scroll made of animal parchment. And they could go back and they could trace. In case of any disputes over land or disputes over who inherits this, it was right there. We could see who the sons and daughters were. We could see who their grandparents were, their great-grandparents, all the way back. So Jesus was indeed in the family line of David. And David writes in Psalm 22 that he shall be pierced for, his trans for our transgressions. Well, who was pierced? Jesus Christ. He was pierced on the cross. And what's uncanny about this, this was written about a thousand years before Christ, is that there were no um, crucifixions at that time. There were no nailed to the cross. And a, the nailing to the cross didn't, didn't happen in the Bible until approximately six to 800 years before Christ with the Assyrians who were masters in torture. And the Romans picked up on that. The Romans wanted to use a torture so wicked, so awful, that no one would ever want to cross Rome again. So these are just three of the many uh, prophets and the many passages in the Bible that point to the Savior. Now, let's go back to the, our theme again today. For the Son of Man, go to, uh, go to Luke chapter 19, verse 5. For the Son of Man came to seek and save the lost. Now, what's awesome about this, this one verse basically sum, summarizes Jesus' whole mission to come to die and save the lost. And it's awesome because we're going to get into the passage where Jesus is going to save someone who is complete sinner. Someone like us that does not deserve salvation. He doesn't deserve anything. In fact, the character today we're going to read about, his name is Zacchaeus. Background a little bit, Zacchaeus was a tax collector um, during the time of Jesus Christ, during the time of Roman occupation. So Luke is going to record the story. little side note there. Who was Luke? Who is Luke? Well, Luke is the author of the book of Luke, the Gospel of Luke, and also the book of Acts, which is all of the early stories of the apostles as they go out and as they share the gospel, the good news. Now Luke, very careful to mention here, Luke was a physician. So at that time, he was a very intelligent, respected man because they did not have all the technologies we take for granted now in the past hundred years. Didn't have the antibiotics, but he knew his anatomy, knew surgery, he knew herbs, and he followed, he wrote this testament. He also was drawn, he was, he was lost, and he was saved by Jesus Christ. By his blood, by his faith in Jesus Christ, he became a new creation. And he followed Christ all through his hardships. He followed Paul through many of his hardships. He also faced tribulations. He faced suffering in ships. He suffered all kinds of misery. And so he's going to write this uh, in Luke chapter 19, verse 1. I'm going to read the text, and then we're going to go back, and we're going to dive into it so we see how much this really, how much this means to us today. So once again, go to Luke 
excuse you for a moment. I've got a little bit of dry throat here. Luke chapter 19, verse 1. I love this story. Okay. Luke entered Jericho. I'm sorry. Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through. And behold, there was a man named Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was rich. Okay, he was rich. And he was seeking to see who Jesus was. But on account of the crowd, he could not see because he was very small in stature. So he ran on ahead and climbed up into a sycamore tree to see him. Well, let's stop for a second. This is written 2,000 years ago. And Luke, what I love about Luke, about the Apostle Luke, is the detail that he writes in this account. This really isn't important from a salvation standpoint, but he talks about his size. He was small in stature. And also, um, he could not see, he ran ahead, and also it says there was a sycamore tree. Why did, he could have said any tree he wanted to. He could have said an oak tree, Texas oak tree, elm tree. But he says a sycamore tree to see him. He climbed up so he could see him. He's a short guy. As Jesus was about to pass that way. And when Jesus came to the place, he looked up to Zacchaeus. Wow. He says, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down, for I must stay at your house today. Whoa. We're going to go back to that. I mean... He doesn't know Zacchaeus, but God is all-knowing. He knows everything. He's up in a tree. He says, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down, but I must stay at your house today. So I'm going to read the next few sentences here, but what's so incredible about this story is about it, it, it encompasses almost everything that's so wonderful about Jesus Christ. Number one, he knows everything. He knows not just the small, the small young tax, small tax collector. He knows everything about everyone. He knows that they're saved. He knows they're not saved. So he truly is God. No one could know walking down a street outside of Jericho and call a man in a sycamore tree and say, hey, I'm going to stay at your house tonight. So the love, the compassion, the knowledge, the just reaching out, his, his just wanting to touch and, and save this man is, is amazing. So he hurried. He came down. And listen to this. He received Jesus joyfully. Wow. He's just, he just, he's full of joy. And when they saw it, they all grumbled. The other people are grumbling. He's gone in to be the guest of a man who is a sinner. And Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, Behold, Lord, the half of my goods I give to the poor. And if I have defrauded anyone of anything, I will restore it fourfold. And Jesus said to him, today salvation has come to this house, since he's also a son of Abraham. For the son of man came to seek and to save the lost. Okay, these are just nine, ten verses, and they show so much about the times at that day, the people that were mocking Zacchaeus, the people that yelled at Jesus, wait a minute, this guy's a tax collector. And said before, a tax collector, they made some money. You know how they made money? A couple ways. Number one, the Roman authorities gave certain people the authority to tax and collect 
tax from all the people of Israel. And they were responsible for taking in a denarius or whatever the tax was at that particular time, recording it, and then sending it on to the Roman authorities. So the people of Israel, they hated the Romans. The Romans were occupying their land. They were taking over their commerce, taking over their laws. The Romans were telling the Jews what to do, who to obey, who to follow. And if they didn't follow the rules, there was harsh, harsh retribution and discipline. So the Jews, they also knew, that, like most tax collectors today or anyone dealing with that kind of thing, where they're not really monitored or accountable, they'd skim a little bit off the side. So who's to know if there were 240 people in this village or if there were only 210? You could work up, you could work 20 Daenerys off the top, take the top off the that, and live quite well because it said he was a wealthy man. Okay, also he was a chief tax collector. I didn't see that before. The chief, that meant he had to do this for many years, and he had to earn this position by being good record keeper, very diligent, turning the money in when he, when asked. But they always rewarded the tax collector. So. The Jews at that time, they hated, they despised the tax collector. And so we'll see that because when he came down from the tree, they, they all grumbled and said, hey, wait a second. How, how, can, how can that man that's just a wicked, wicked person and scum of the earth, how come he's going to dine with Jesus? I, I, I don't get it. I'm, I'm not as bad as him. Well, that's our problem. We always say we're not as bad as the other person. We're, we're pretty good. He went into the guest, he said, he's gone in to be the guest of a man who is a sinner. Wow. Goes into the home. I mean, this man had not prepared for Jesus, but the Son of God is going to call this man down from a tree and tell him, I'd like to stay with you tonight. You know, pretty bold, but he's got a mission right now to save the lost. So it doesn't matter if it's a Jewish tax collector. doesn't matter if it's a prostitute. It doesn't matter if it's a drug addict. Today's the world, a drug addict, a person who scams on their own taxes, a person that lies, a person that cheats, a person that's into adultery or pornography. He's going to save the lost. So think about that. And then I'm going to also share one other fact about mankind. And that is, there are two things in this world that we cannot control. Absolutely cannot control. You know what they are? We can't control when we are born. We can't go back and say, oh, I wish I was born a year earlier. It would have been a lot better back then or three years earlier. Or if I had been born a year later, I may not have had this car accident or I may not have had this happen. I may have met this person, whatever. We can't choose when we're born. That's in God's hands. Okay. Secondly, we can't choose when we are born again. And that's the whole message of today and the next few weeks, is how, how are we regenerated? How are we born again? How are we saved? How are we made a Christian? Now, some of us, we hear we heard the term, I was saved. I was saved 20 years ago when I was at a Christian camp, or I was saved as a, as a child when I, my mother and father would take me to, to Bible study in a Sunday school person says, well, I was saved when I had a business partner, screwed me over, 
left me destitute, no money. I hit the bottom and I was saved. So God is going to use circumstances, events. He's going to use history. He's going to use his knowledge of you. If you're born again, if you're saved, to bring about a unique salvation for each one of us. Okay. In my case, briefly in a minute, I had to be literally saved from death before I could be saved three years later. How did that happen? Well, briefly, I was a big skier. I was skiing in Utah at the time, going down quite fast. I had a real freak ski accident. Ski came off. I fell forward, going pretty fast. I had a freak fall. I broke my neck. Okay, I broke my neck. I was paralyzed. I was a doctor at the time. So unfortunately, I knew everything going on, how bad it was. But the worst thing was I couldn't breathe. Okay, so when you're up at 11,000, 12,000 feet, and you're laying on your back, you can't move, can't breathe, you're gasping for air, things start going by really slowly. Like, I just need to get enough air so I can breathe so I don't die. Things are getting gray. And I will say before, well, God saved me because God had a plan. Before all this happened, God had a plan. And I was very proud at the time, very into money, sports, all, everything but God, everything but believing and putting my faith in Jesus Christ. But, you know, God had to save me. And he's going to use all these people in my life to bring me to where I am today. Okay. So going back 22 years. Yeah, I'm laying up there, couldn't move, couldn't breathe. I first had to be all these people to save me. Had to have the right friends there at the right time, to get a ski patrol there at the right time, to get a medic there at the right time, and then to get a doctor there at the right time. As I'm laying there, trying to breathe, couldn't see much. And if it wouldn't have been for the technology of modern-day rescues and mountain rescues, they called in a helicopter to rescue me. But that wasn't assured either because I was on a very steep slope. So it took some really good paramedics with skis and a board and what's called a toboggan sled to get down, to get me on that board strapped in on the toboggan. I'm thinking I'm going to die. And then finally, it seemed like eternity to get me up the mountain to the helicopter. I hear the helicopter hear that from about two, two or three hundred yards away, but they couldn't get to me right away. It took a long, long, long time. Man, the best thing, best thing in my life that I remember that time was getting a mask of oxygen there. And then the reality when I landed 40 minutes later in the hospital that I would never walk again. I would never dance again. Never ride a bike again. Everything radically changed. So God used that though down the road. It didn't happen right away. But a few years later, I was invited to a Bible study. Ha, I hated God. Some of you out there right now, you might say, I hate God for what's happened. I've had a really awful childhood. My dad used to beat me. My mom, she was into drinking. She was into drugs. She left me at times. Or my brothers were off into drugs. And I ran into some bad people. You might be angry about that kind of thing. I mean, I was angry for several years, too. But then I realized right now that God, hopefully God is using this, using the Word of God right now 
to break into your heart, to give you a new heart, and to allow the Holy Spirit to work on that heart, to bring a new creation into you, new eyes, new heart, new soul, new affections, new desires. I can't do it. I'm going to read the Word of God because the Bible says faith comes from hearing and hearing the Word of God, the Word of Jesus Christ. So let's share another verse and let's get dive into Zacchaeus just for another minute or two. But Zacchaeus, once again, he's a, he's a sinner. He's prideful. He's a chief tax collector. He doesn't deserve it, really. Well, none of us deserve it. And so we, the Bible says we've all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. We've all sinned, okay? Going back to, to all the way back to Adam and Eve. And a lot of people don't want to believe they're that bad of, bad of sinners, but we, man tries to deal with his sin in different ways. And I know I was the same way too. I try to justify myself. I try to morally say relative to everyone else, I'm not that bad. And most people, they'll say, it's kind of like the, uh, I call it the teeter-totter approach or the scale. Well, my good things, you know, the good things I do, I help out. I taught disabled skiing for a while. I did those good things with, with mentally retarded kids and stuff. I did that, and then I helped out my neighbors over here, did nice things for them, helped them work on their yard and stuff because she's older. And the bad things I do, you know, they're not really, they're not that bad because everybody does some of those things, you know, and, and, and kind of, well, half-truths and stuff like that. Pornography, I'm not that bad because other people are no more. So we try to deal with our sin. We try and cover it up. We try to repress it through drugs, through alcohol, through partying, through sex, through all those lusts, lust of the eyes, lust of the flesh, and our pride. Oh, man, pride can build yourself up so big that, hey, you're a good guy. You're not like those other people. I deserve I deserve to, when I die, I think I'm, I'm going to heaven. I, I think I'm pretty sure of it. Okay? But then Romans 6.23, just three chapters later, says the wages of sin is death. Huh. Wages of sin is death. That's written by Paul. So the payment for our sins is death. It's eternal separation from God. So remember, we're talking about Jesus, Son of Man, came to seek and save the lost. We're going to talk about that. We're going to finish up here about four or five minutes, but we're going to talk about more next week because there's so much into this passage right here. I had a few more notes here. Um, we're saved through Jesus Christ from eternal damnation, only through him. No other way. No other way. 2 Corinthians 5.21. Another verse we'll come back to because every time I read it, it makes me feel more grateful for the grace, the un, undeserved gift. Grace is an undeserved gift. None of you deserve, none of us deserve that gift. For Paul writes, for our sake, he made him, who him is Jesus Christ, to be sin, who knew no sin, so that in him, we might become the righteousness of God. Let's unpack that verse. For our sake, not for his sake, he didn't need us. He created the whole heavens. He created the whole galaxy, the universe. But he's come back. He came down 2,000 years ago to find them. He knew them to save them. He rescues them. 
like for me, I was rescued by that helicopter. Well, the kind of analogy, I mean, he, he's like that rescue helicopter. He rescued me at that time, being a quadriplegic and being left with nothing. He brought me to the Son, to Jesus Christ. But only through a knowledge of my sin, when I repented and I put my trust and faith in Jesus Christ. And guys and gals, I'm going to tell you something. When you get saved, things don't necessarily, everything does to get bright and cheery and you know, you're in jail, maybe you get saved in jail. And things don't become great right away. You know, you're thinking, oh, you know what? I think I'm, I think I'm a believer because I like to read my Bible, but I just don't know. Hey, my case, you know, got saved, but my, my ex-wife left me about six months later. I lost my home, lost my marriage. My kids left me. So here I am, I got saved. I can tell a difference in my heart. But there are so many people right now in this world that are persecuted in China, Russia, Cuba, Central America. They're Christian, but life is not always rosy for them. So one last note before we finish up. We've got a few seconds here. Doesn't mean that Jesus sinned. He did not sin in that verse. For our sake, he made him to be sin. He covers our sin. So we'll talk about that, what it means to be covered by Jesus Christ's righteousness. And that, my friends, is a huge, huge blessing. When we see that he covers our sins, then we're free. We're really free. We're free because a lot of people, um, I'm sad to say, when, when they're born together with a new creation, they'll hang on to the past. And they'll kind of worry about the past. They'll say, well, I, you know, I did some bad things back then. I don't know if God could forgive that. And I thought some, I, I thought some bad thoughts the other night. I thought some bad thoughts. I mean, I mean does that mean I'm, I'm a sin again? That means I'm going to hell? No, we, we all have a sinful self. Even though we're recreated in Christ, we still have the old self. So once again, I'll read this and we'll finish on this. Think about this. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. So guys and gals, dig into your Bibles, get into the book of Luke, get into the book of John chapter 3, and I'll see you all next week. Thank you very much. Amen.